Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Well, today we're doing something different. It is Saturday, April 18th. Uh, I wanted to go through uh, something a little bit different. Um, just so you know, I'm taking a few days off. I've already recorded a congregation at prayer for Sunday and Monday just to get you all kicked off on... Um, on the week to do that for yourselves. I mean, I have gotten a lot of positive feedback on it, and I'm very happy about that. I'm glad that there are people who really enjoy it, who are getting a lot out of it, Uh, but I need a break. It's been a pretty hectic Easter, and I'm taking a couple days off from uh, Monday through Wednesday. I'll be back Thursday, and maybe next week, or the week after next, I'll continue on with congregation at prayer, but hopefully I've set the good pace for y'all as far as doing it uh, on your own at home, um, and you'll just have to wait until I get back. But I wanted today to do something we usually do <clears throat> on Sunday mornings uh, for Bible study here at Resurrection. We usually go through the propers for the day, uh, and I wanted to take a little bit of time and go through that so that we can have a little bit of a supplement for uh, the folks at Resurrection and other people could join in and just kind of listen as you're getting ready in the morning or driving or doing whatever you got to do. Um, it's going to be shorter than we usually do on Sunday mornings, which it usually lasts for about an hour. I'm only going to go roughly half an hour. I'll probably I'll try and stop at that point. I, I usually talk a lot, but I'm going to do my best to just cut it off at around 30 minutes so y'all have a pretty good quick understanding about the texts that are going on for this Sunday. We are in the historic one-year lectionary here at Resurrection. Um, I've already recorded, by the way, just so you can uh, anticipate this, um, I've recorded something for uh, to go out on Wednesday for uh, it's a, something similar to this on the propers, the texts for next Sunday, which is the third Sunday in Easter. Um, and uh, I talk about the Latin and everything like that, that the name comes from. And this Sunday, let's just go ahead and dive in so we can save our time here. But this Sunday is uh, the second Sunday in Easter. Um, I saw a friend of mine, another pastor, uh, say that this is typically called Vicar Sunday. So if you have a vicar, uh, a man that's in in training to be a pastor, um, usually this is the Sunday that the pastor hands over the reins for preaching to the vicar because the pastor needs a break. (laughs) But this is, uh, so it's known in some circles as, you know, second Sunday and Easter, uh, Vicar Sunday, whatever you want to call it, but in the old um, Latin name for this Sunday, uh, the Latin is Quasimodo Geniti, which comes from the first line of the the introit, uh, and it's translated from Latin into um, English. How we have it in English is like newborn infants. Uh, that that's the beginning of the intro it for this Sunday, and uh, Quasimodo Geniti makes you think of the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Notre Dame, however you want to say it. I'm not 
all that fancy. But anyways, um, the hunchback of Notre Dame uh, is named that because in the book, he's dropped off on the uh, steps of the church on that Sunday, so they don't have anything to name him. So they named him Quasimodo, um, which literally means, you know, like partially partially formed human, you know, partially formed uh, being kind of thing. So it's very apt for the hunchback. But anyways, uh, it's for uh, the, the introit, which we'll get into this right now. Just go ahead and dive into the introit. Uh, the introit is from Psalm 81, uh, various verses. Uh, like I've told our Bible study group on Sunday mornings that the introit is all over the place as far as the verses that it pulls from. Um, you'll have Psalms and then you'll have other books of the Bible. And this is what it's been on this. This is the historic lectionary. Um, the one year has this as the, the text for the intro it Psalm 81 verses one, 7a verse 10 and verse 16 B. The antiphon is is first Peter chapter two, verse two a. So here's what the intro it sounds like. Like newborn infants, alleluia, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, alleluia. Sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will, f- and I will f- fill it. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Like newborn infants, alleluia, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, alleluia. So you hear that antiphon from 1 Peter chapter 2, and it really sets the tone for what this Sunday uh, is going to be emphasizing a lot of. So like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word that we as the people of God, really the children of God, that's that's what we should really take away from this, read into this, that we are the children of God and we need that pure spiritual milk of the word. Uh, there's elsewhere in scripture where it talks about, you know, needing uh, spiritual milk uh, and then growing up to where you can actually have the meat and potatoes, as we would say, the the um, food that you really chew on. You know, that's 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 what comes with maturity. But that's not what we should really focus on all that much all the time, because we still need that pure spiritual milk of the word. Because so much in Christianity now is about. Um, being a self-feeder. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. I think that is very misguided, that there are a lot of people in the evangelical circles that will say, you know, we're going to feed you, and then you need to be a self-feeder. Like, you need to be the only one responsible for your spiritual growth and just do it all yourself at some point, or at least mostly by yourself, probably. But that's not what the church is for. The church is there and the pastor is there in his specific office to make sure you get that pure spiritual milk of the word. You know, it's, I think uh, there, uh, another pastor I heard say this, you know, that you hear someone say the church is a school because you come to learn. And someone says, no, it's not a school. It's a hospital where you come to get better. And then someone comes back with something even better and says that, no, the church is a hospice 
We are preparing you to face death in this world and be prepare for the life to come, right? And we're always learning. We're always uh, catechumens. We can never stop learning. That's why we have, that's, that's why I, the church needs to, and a lot of churches do, take into account the teaching that is necessary for not only the growth in faith, but the sustaining of faith. We always go back to the well of the word. So we never really outgrow the need for the word of God. We always need God's word. We always need to come and to hear that word proclaimed by the pastor and proclaimed in the absolution when we confess our sins and to hear the word uh, and remember our baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit when the invocation is said at the beginning of the divine, of the divine service. We make the sign of the cross remembering our baptism. Um, we are here to be fed by the word literally in the body and blood of Christ in Holy Communion. So there's a lot here in this intro. It really sets the tone really nicely, and I'm going to move on, I promise. We're going to go on to our gospel text. We're going out of order. I'm sorry, but we're going out of order to the gospel because the gospel is the theological center of this Sunday, every Sunday, really, <clears throat> especially in the one-year lectionary. Uh, the historic one-year lectionary really just everything centers in f and really goes to support the gospel and what's being said in the gospel. So the gospel is from the, uh, St. John uh, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I'll read it for you real quick. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. So, a lot of stuff going on here, and I only have 30 minutes, so I'll touch on the really uh, overarching stuff. But I love the gospel of John. I mean, I love all of Scripture, but if, if I had to pick a favorite, I'd say... I mean, they're all great. They all have their things to really contribute, but the Gospel of John is really 
my favorite one to just read and indulge in. It, there's so much here. It's so simple but profound. The uh, simplicity of it all really just draws out this just, oh, it's just so good. Anyways, <laughs> I'm going on and on. But okay, so we see here that on the evening of that day, which is the day of the Lord's resurrection, it's Easter, it's the first Easter, Christ has risen, he's risen indeed, hallelujah. We see that Jesus comes to his disciples and they are in fear, right? They're in fear and trembling. They are worried that the, that, that the Jews are gonna find them and kill them, right? They're still afraid. Um, and in some ways they've, they've gathered probably to pray, probably to hold some sort of vigil. But we see that because Christ has risen from the dead, that is proof that we are now truly the children of God, all those who believe in him and who have faith in the workings of his death and resurrection, that we are these, like the antiphon says, newborn infants. We long for the pure, for the pure spiritual milk of the word. These disciples were needing so badly the word of God to absolve them of the sins that they committed. These guys had abandoned Jesus at the moment of his arrest and his trial, and they were nowhere to be found except for John. But John didn't say anything. He didn't speak up. It's it, it's all just so, you know, un, so unfortunate, but also so so. Uh, I don't know. We just have to understand that these guys were terrified. And so, what is the best thing that God can do when we are terrified? He can comfort us, right? And Jesus comes in His body, and He says, "Peace be with you." This is the um, rabbinic shalom, I believe that uh, I've believe I'm hopefully I hope I'm getting that right. But it's this peace be with you. Jesus comes, and this has boggled people's minds where they don't they'll say, you know, what? How can he do this? That there are some theological scholars that will get into it and say, you know, well, um, it's hard to explain that Jesus, you know. He is risen and there's he's he's in his bodily form and he's glorified and he comes and and I think I hope I'm not mischaracterizing anything, but I think it was John Calvin or at least some reformed the, theologian who said, you know, the the wall must have moved out of the way so that Jesus could come in the the locked room. And it's just like, what are you doing? Trying to reason this this thing out. He just appeared. You know why? He can do that. He's God right? Everything that we ascribe to God, this is Jesus, right? He is fully glorified in his body, um, and the flesh and blood is now God. It is truly part of the miracle of the incarnation of the Son of God, and it is part of it that says, how did he appear? I don't know, but he did. He did, he was there, and he appeared but that doesn't matter. What matters is he says to these guys who are scared and cowering in fear, he says, peace be with you. And the ESV shows, it says, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his sight. It's a little ambiguous, but the Greek, you can look at the Greek and it says, you can take it either way, right? You can take it as, you know, when he said this, after he said this, uh, before, you know, while he said this, I think it's better to say while he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And why is he showing him, showing them his hands and his side? Because these are the signs of the crucifixion, right? Even in Jesus's glorified body, 
those signs of the cross don't go away. He is perfect, perfectly glorified, resurrected. His flesh is perfected. He shouldn't have these things, right? No, because he couldn't get these things. He, he couldn't be glorified. He couldn't be resurrected until he died, right? He had to die first. That showing of his hands and his side show the disciples this is how peace has been won for you, right? Peace be with you. I have died for you. My blood has been shed, has been poured out for you. All of your sins are forgiven. And that is where the peace of God comes from. The knowledge that our sins are forgiven, the knowledge and the comfort that comes from, you know, the peace that comes from the forgiveness of sins. Because when our sins are forgiven, we have eternal life, right? If the wages of sin is death and we are forgiven of our sins, death is is nothing to us anymore. We can die without fear. We can die without fear of condemnation. If we die in Christ, that's why Paul says, to live is, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Christ has made our death as uh, the great hymn writer Paul Gerhardt wrote, you know, um, Christ has made my death a portal from the strife of this life to his joy, immortal. You know, it's a beautiful thing. So anyways, I'm moving on here. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm running out of time. There's so much here. So we see here that Jesus says to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This, we could say that this is part of ordination. This was read at my at um, my ordination um, when I was ordained to be a pastor. You know, this is where Jesus is giving the the keys, right? He's giving the keys to his apostles, the ones who are being sent out. And he's sending them out saying, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And it says, you know, it's, it says he breathed on them and said to them, but it's, it's, it's just that he's, while he's speaking to them, he's breathing on them. You know, that's how God's word works, that this breath, it, our, our words have no life without breath. Right? And when you see this idea of breath, especially in the Greek, you have to think about also, I think, spirit, right? That breath and spirit in Greek are the same thing. They are synonymous in the Greek. It's pneuma, you know? Um, and he breathes on them and he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. That is given to the... Uh, well, there's 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 some debate on this, but um, he's giving this to his apostles, and he whenever you come to church and you hear um, the pastor say in confession and absolution in in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's not forgiving you your sins because he's a super great guy. He has magical powers or whatever. He's not been um, given this indelible character. He has he is speaking and standing in the stead, in the place of Christ. So when you hear your sins are forgiven, it's not that the pastor is saying, I am so special and I forgive you your sins. The pastor is saying, my word is Christ's word. And Christ says, you are forgiven, so you are forgiven. Right? It's a wonderful, comforting thing, and this is supposed to give peace. Okay, I'm going to move on here. We see Thomas. Oh, Thomas. 
<laughs> it's, we gotta, we gotta, I, I will direct you to my uh, sermon for Sunday, actually, if you want to know a little bit more. But here we see Thomas, he's doubting, right? Uh, and stay tuned for my sermon on this, because I think my sermon fleshes it out a little bit more. But I'll just say this, that we don't know where Thomas was. We don't know why he wasn't with the other uh, 10, really, because Judas wasn't there anymore. We don't know why he was there, why, why he wasn't with them. It could be that he was despairing. He just wanted to get on with his life. And then when the other guys, when the other disciples say, we've seen the Lord, he does the worst thing possible. He doesn't believe them, right? He doesn't believe them. And he says, he tests God by saying, unless I see his hands and his side, right? I'll never believe. So then this is, I, I was always wondering about this, but it makes so much sense now after sitting with the text and thinking about it. And you see that eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them, right? Consider this, Thomas had shunned, think of it this way. He, he had shunned the church either by outright saying, I'm not gonna be part of this, or you could just say he just shunned them because he didn't show up. And yet they reach out to him and they pull him back in. They ask him to come back. You have to say that this is after they were given the Holy Spirit, that they probably shared this wonderful news of Christ with him even more than just saying, we have seen the Lord, although that should have been enough. But they pull him in and they bring him back, and this is what we ought to do with those who fall away from the church, pull them back because it means that much for Christ to have them present to hear his word to receive the peace that surpasses all understanding, hearing the gospel of Christ, that your sins are forgiven, right? So Jesus comes and he stood them and, and, and he stands among them and he says, peace be with you again, right? This, this wonderful absolution. And then he looks to Thomas and he says, put your finger here and see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't be disbelieving, but, but be believing, right? And Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. We don't know if Thomas actually touches the hands and the side of Christ. It wouldn't be bad if he did. It wouldn't be a sin. Christ invited him to do it. And it doesn't say whether he did or not. But, I mean, it's beside the point. I mean, but we shouldn't just say he, did, he absolutely didn't because we don't know. It doesn't say. It's well within the possibilities that he could have. So we see Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this is a beautiful thing. I'm running out of time, but this is just a great gospel text. We see that Jesus is rebuking Thomas in one breath, but he's also absolving him, right? And he's also blessing those who hear God's word now. All of us, we see, we, we, we have not seen and yet we have believed. We cannot see God with our eyes the way that the disciples did, right? But we can hear his word and we see these things in the water and the word, right? And the bread and the wine in the Eucharist, in the Holy Supper, in the Holy Communion, whatever you want to call it. You see the body and blood of Christ because your ears hear that it is his body. This is why if you've paid attention a little bit in church on Sunday and resurrection, you'll hear me when I chant the words of institution, the words of Christ, where he says, 
take, eat. This is my body. I really emphasize the is. And drink of it all you drink of it all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. It's worth emphasizing. It's worth repeating on that. That should be our focus when it comes to receiving these wonderful gifts that God doesn't make empty promises, right? That he makes these promises that provide peace and that provide peace because we have the forgiveness of sins. I mean, surely sin is not a light thing and we shouldn't say, well, now I've been forgiven. I can go do what I want. We should understand that sin is serious and that because it is serious, God has given us serious tools, serious means by which to defend ourselves from it and from its effects and from all of the accusations and temptations that Satan would throw at us in his word and his sacraments. So we see these things and we see also Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And in his name you have life because you have been baptized, because you believe, because you receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, which grants you the peace that surpasses all understanding, right? Okay, that's a wonderful gospel text. I went way too long on it, but it's okay because the rest of the texts really serve this gospel text. And I'm not gonna read the Old Testament text. I'll give you the reference, and I'm not gonna read the epistle, but I'll give you the reference for that too. But in the Old Testament, the Old Testament for this week is Ezekiel 37, verses one through 14. And this is the vision of Ezekiel and the, dry, the, the valley of dry bones. And you see these parts where it says, thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. So you see this vision of God and Ezekiel and God says, son of man, can these bones live, right? And Ezekiel says, oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So you see these bones and, and you said, because I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live, I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. So God is raising these dry bones that have absolutely no life in them. He is bringing them to life. And so Ezekiel says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. See, these, these bones come together, but they don't have any life in them. They don't have the breath of life in them, which you can hearken back to it's it's looking forward to what our gospel talks about. Jesus breathes on them, and as he's breathing on them, he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit, this breath of new life, new creation that Christ brings because he has defeated death. That is what Ezekiel is pointing towards here. And he says, and then God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the ruach, you know, the the breath, the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds. And you see the, that the, 
the four winds come and the, and the breath comes into them and then these bones that have been re, these these dead beings dead bodies dead humans that have been brought up they are finally given life the breath of life the breath of new life and this is not just prophesying to the resur- okay it's not just prophesying to the conversion right of the sinner to be a new creation but it is prophesying also to the uh, resurrection on the last day, that on the last day we will be resurrected from the grave. We will be given perfect bodies as they were originally intended to be, perfect glorified bodies in the same way that Christ was glorified on the third day when he rose from the dead, right? Um, So we see... At the end of our text from Ezekiel, starting at verse 12, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it declares the Lord. So this is a full-on laying on of the peace that Christ speaks of in our gospel text, that not only do are, are we given the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life in heaven, but one day our Christ, Christ will return and the separation that was caused by death between our soul and our body, our body will go in the ground when we die, and our spirit, our soul, our soul will go in and be with Christ in heaven. And then on the last day, that separation that was caused by death will be destroyed. It will be done away with, and in an instant, our souls and our bodies will be reunited. Our bodies will be resurrected from the grave, and we will be glorified as Christ was when he rose on the third day. So it's something to look forward to, adds to the peace and and should sustain you in that faith. And when you eat and you drink the body and blood of Christ, you are eating and drinking the risen and ascended body and blood of Christ that you are sustaining yourself, at, or Christ is sustaining you. Let me make that very clear. Christ is sustaining you as his new creation by feeding you his risen and ascended body and blood because that is the food of eternal life that is the pill if you want to put it that way that will make sure that you live forever not just in your spirit or your soul but in your body on the last day when you will be raised to the imperishable it's a wonderful wonderful thing and a lot of comfort there a lot of peace that comes from that our epistle, moving on to here to the epistle from 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 10. I'll just give you the reference. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 10. I'm not going to read all of it. I'll read this one little part here. Verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. 
So we see here a reference to Christ when his side was pierced by the Roman spear, that water and blood poured out. And that we see also that when Jesus shows them his side, he says, this is, this is, <laughs> this is me, right? This is the gift that I give you from my side flows forth blood and water. That has been interpreted in different ways uh, by different people. I think it's, and, and I think a lot of people, a lot of Lutherans would agree that it is a heavy reference and you've heavily interpreted towards being the sacraments. That baptism and the Lord's Supper, that the washing and the washing of the blood, the water and the blood, you know, those sacraments of baptism and Holy Supper, the Holy Communion, the Eucharist, those are all present within there. I don't have enough time to go into it right now as far as how it all is, but think about that a little bit. Meditate on that. What do those mean? The water and the blood that pours out of Jesus' side, but the Spirit testifies, right? And the water and the blood testify as to the forgiveness of sins, right? First John is very cryptic, but it's very it's very nice too. It's a great epistle. Um, but we see here also that there's the Spirit. The Spirit is the truth, right? The Spirit is the one who testifies. The Spirit is the truth. And who gives the Spirit, right? We say in the Nicene Creed, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, right? Jesus is the one by the will of the Father, because he and the Father are one, the Spirit proceeds forth from both the Father and the Son. And with the Holy Spirit, you have this testimony through the Word of God to tell you that your sins are forgiven. Right? The Holy Spirit is the shy one of the Trinity. He is the one who doesn't really like to talk about himself because he wants to point you to Jesus. There's a lot of churches that will focus on the Spirit moving and the Spirit doing His work, and they get a little off the rails sometimes because, well, you'll see them, you know, typically uh, more of the charismatic Pentecostals will say, you know, I've got the Spirit, and they'll they'll dance and they'll, and they'll speak in tongues, and they don't look like they have a whole lot of self-control, but self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So I'm just going to put it out there. Um, but with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit— he doesn't want you to know all about him because his job, all of his job is to tell you about Jesus. His job is to remind you of that peace that comes from the side of Christ, the blood and the water that comes out of his pierced side, that washes you clean of your sin, that reminds you that you are baptized you are crucified in that baptism and you are raised from the dead in that baptism to be a new creation. This is another thing. Spirit, breath, that Jesus breathes on them. And we can ascribe this back to Genesis, that God breathes in the face and the nostrils of Adam and gives him the breath of life. When Jesus speaks to us and says, receive the Holy Spirit, he is breathing new life into us. He is giving us the life that comes from the forgiveness of sins. He is giving us the life that comes from the life that was sacrificed, that Christ sacrificed for us, that by the shedding of his blood, the life is in the blood. Remember that, the life is in the blood. And in his blood, when we eat and drink his body and blood, we receive his life. 
that he grants to us for, for, for all eternity. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's, man, it's about all I have. (laughs) I mean, I have more, but that's all the time I have. I wanted to keep this relatively short, but just to give you something to think about. While you watch online, we are still here in the midst of pandemic. Um, Things look, are starting to look up though. Um, And hopefully soon we will work on a plan on phasing into more in-person worship, worship. Um, I'm still talking to the elders about what that looks like. We'll see what it looks like, but stay tuned for that. We're working on a new website. We're working on all kinds of new stuff. This this pandemic has really uh, pushed me to get into gear on some things I was holding on the back burner for a while, but a lot of exciting things coming for Resurrection in Fredericksburg, Uh, new website, new, uh, I mean, we have a new podcast. We have have this um, YouTube channel. So right now, while we are um, suspending services, and we are putting everything online. I just got done with the service for Sunday, which uh, this coming Sunday, tomorrow, Quasimodo Geniti, uh, second Sunday of Easter, Vicar Sunday. We don't have a vicar, but that's okay. Whatever you want to call it. Watch our show, watch our um, service on the YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Resurrection Fredericksburg, and you'll see the same logo or the same... Um, branding that we have on our podcast here and you'll know you're in the right spot um our show our I keep wanting to call it a show it's not a show our service will go live at 10 30 in the morning sunday the 19th i pray that this has been a blessing to you that it will aid you in hearing god's word um, rightly that you will hear and know that through christ we have true peace because he has died for us, he has shed his blood for us, and he gives us the new breath of life that was won by his blood. So God bless you. God bless your worship, even though we are still in exile right now. Um, If anybody in Fredericksburg that is in fellowship with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, if any of the members of Resurrection would like to come receive communion, please call me text me, email me, and we will set up um, a time for you to come by and receive the sacrament. Um, And hopefully this has made you hunger and thirst for it just a little bit more because of what it really means, what I've said today. Hopefully that uh, entices you a little bit more to um, come on out. We are taking proper precautions, so don't worry about that. But I've said enough. It's been long enough. The Lord bless you and keep you. uh, And I pray that uh, this will be a blessing to you and God's blessings on your worship tomorrow.